Okay, we began this series last week. Uh, I brought my book to show you. The series is based on this book written by Tim Harlow, uh, who happens to be a preacher uh, on the outskirts of Chicago, has a very large congregation there, and um, uh, he actually spoke at Savannah this year, the Next Level Leadership Conference, and uh, is doing an outstanding job. It's an excellent book. If you go to a Christian bookstore and you see one, I'd recommend that you pick it up. Uh, you'll thoroughly enjoy it. Okay, so we've been talking about life on mission. And so today I want to welcome you to New Life as we continue this series. And today we're going to be looking at action step number two, which is serve. As we move forward in this Life on Mission project, uh, we're focusing on the fact that we individually and as a congregation need to be on mission. We talked last week about connecting and how important it is to connect. Have you noticed that today people like to hide a lot? Um, people live in gated communities. This is something that's relatively recent. Um, I was back at a seminar in the 80s, a long time ago. Some of you weren't even born in. Anyway, uh, and it was predicted that it was becoming this way. And so, you know, probably our most famous gated community uh, around here is um, out at the, the summit or Lake Holiday. Um, there are a lot of communities like that. There are apartment complexes and all that you can't get into unless you have a code uh, or buzz somebody and they let you in. Uh, people want to be off to themselves. Their home is their castle. And so people just seem to like to hide out a lot today. Uh, Reader's Digest ran an article several years ago about the, um, the demise of the front porch. And, uh, and I, I remember new house construction. They weren't building front porches on new houses, maybe a stoop uh, or something very small. Now, that may be coming back a little bit uh, today. I've noticed some of the housing that's going up. Um, but it was intentional years ago that people had a front porch because they sat there in the evenings and neighbors would come by and neighbors would uh, wander up and sit and talk and visit for a period of time. So, And I, I hear people all the time say, well, people don't visit anymore. And it's because we're placing these obstacles in the way uh, that's preventing that from happening. Gated communities and no front porches, no hanging out uh, in the front yard, uh, welcoming people uh, as, as they go by. Uh, somebody, and, and here's how it works. Somebody pulls up in front of your house today. And uh, so you notice that somebody's out there that's not normally there. They get out of the car and they start towards your front door. Well, the curtains close, the TV's turned down, the kids are threatened within an inch of their life to be quiet. And there's a knock on the door, and you don't answer the door. People don't want to be disturbed. Um, their home is their castle. And so that's just the way that it is uh, nowadays. We shut people out, and we hide from other people. Well, crooks hide. You know, people that are up to no good. And... The reason they hide is because they're up to no good. We shouldn't hide. Uh, God expects us to be 
engaged with people. There's a story a couple of years ago about a couple of crooks who tried to break into somebody's apartment. This was in Iowa. And uh, they were wearing masks. Well, the police pulled them over, and their masks were nothing more than permanent magic marker that was just put on their faces uh, to hide their identity. Now, I want to ask you a question. How drunk or how high do you think these guys had to be uh, to do something like that? Um, and quite honestly, maybe I'm a softy, but I, I kind of hope they let them off um, because they have suffered a lot because the story has been on the Internet for several years, and uh, that in a sense, they've really paid for that. Well, we move to the next level um, with action point number two, which is serving other people's needs. So we need to connect with people. We need to get to know people. But then we need to, uh, to meet their needs. Now, the, the passage that I read at the beginning of the service is basically our text for today. And so uh, this expert in the law, they would have called him a lawyer, not an attorney as we know attorneys, uh, but they were experts in the law of Moses. So he, this guy approaches Jesus, asks him this question. Jesus was asked a very similar question on another occasion, and the answer basically was the same. Uh, the, the attorney or the, the lawyer asked, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus responds, well, what's written in the law? And he replied, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Okay, I didn't read this next verse. But I want to read it now. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, inheriting eternal life is actually tied or connected to two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you've heard the expression, I've heard it for years, open mouth, insert foot. Well, that's what this expert in the law did. He opened his mouth and inserted his foot uh, by asking the question that he did, which is a really stupid question, who is my neighbor? Now, the question spills out of a heart of an individual trying to justify doing no more than the absolute minimum service that God would require to make God happy. The man in the text wanted to, to do only what was required and nothing more. Nothing more. Now, guys, don't ever say to your wives, Honey, I know you want me to tell you that I love you. How many times a day should I tell you that I love you? So that you feel loved just in case... Uh, Something that involves love was to happen a little later on. Now, I want to make sure I have all my bases covered. 
You know, you just let me know how many times you want me to tell you that I love you. Now, guys, I've been married almost 43 years. Be 43 years in November. Believe me, ain't nothing going to happen if you ask such a stupid question. And I see the women smiling. Um, nobody said amen. I'm not going to ask if that's right or not, because I think we know the answer already. Well, God expects us to freely give love whether love is given back or not. We need to give it. If you have to ask who your neighbor is, you're already a bad neighbor. Newsflash. The man in our text was what I'll call a gracist. Now, that's in your outline there. Don't look it up in the dictionary. It's not there. It's a relatively new um, word in a religious connection. Um, what gracism is, well, it sounds like racism, doesn't it? Okay, racism is based on the color of your skin. Okay, so the idea some races are better than others, or one race is superior. Uh, gracism is based on the color of your sin, not your skin. And so your sin is worse than my sin. You know, I can do my sin and get away with it, and God will overlook it, but God won't overlook your sin. Um, so, so the man in the text is saying, I deserve to be with the Father, and, and you don't. That's basically what he's saying. So that's gracious. While I talk about racism... I'm concerned about the attitude in our country today and the direction things are going. And it appears to me that some of our, our political leaders are pushing us in a reverse direction when it comes to, to racism. And it really concerns me uh, because it's becoming such a problem. It doesn't need to be a problem. And there are people that are, are pushing this agenda and, and that concern, I, and so I'm going to preach a sermon when we get through this series on the subject of racism. So we're going to deal with that. Well, in our text, this man asks Jesus who his neighbor is. So Jesus tells a story that this Jewish man's traveling 17 miles, 17 mile journey between Jerusalem and Jericho. Uh, it's an, a long, open stretch of roadway. Not much in the way of police uh, or law enforcement officers in the area. No good lighting. When he's accosted by a gang of thieves who robbed him, beat him up, and left him for dead. Okay, but whoa, you know, this is not the end of the story. Here comes a priest uh, to the rescue. But oh no, he crosses the road and walks by on the other side, ignoring the injured man's circumstances. And I think this was God's way of saying to the dumb question guy, this is you. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. A bad neighbor is a person who has to pass by on the other side to avoid 
involvement. Why did the priest ignore the wounded Jewish man? Well, maybe this didn't rank very high on his priority list. Maybe he didn't see the guy, although that's not likely because he changed sides of the road. Uh, Maybe he was on his way to church or synagogue, and so maybe he was running late. Maybe he thought the guy deserved what he got. Well, you know, he's in that condition, he's in that position, so God's just getting him back for something he did in life. Maybe his heart was callous. I don't know, but it would have cost him something. Now, when I read this, I think back to the Ebola scare uh, recently. We were real concerned about that because it was getting to the part of Africa where Ken and Anita uh, are working, and so that was very much concerned to us, and it was worldwide. And then go back a little bit farther, and, and I'd say next to that is, is the situation with HIV and AIDS. A lot of people were just deathly afraid of HIV and, and, and AIDS. I was in my former church when AIDS was identified back in the mid-80s. We actually had a member of the congregation who was HIV positive. Now, don't think that it's because, um, you know, he because of his lifestyle. Um, he was a free bleeder. He had a lot of transfusions. He got bad blood in a transfusion. And um, so I thought, we're going to have to talk about this at church because everybody was concerned. Uh, he went into the Winchester Medical Center and they closed down the whole wing where he was. They were so afraid of, of AIDS. They didn't know how it spread. Everybody was concerned about it. Uh, people in churches, a lot of them were saying, if you have AIDS, you're not welcome here. I said, well, you know, we have to bring it up. We have to talk about it um, because eventually I knew people were going to find out this guy had, was HIV positive. And so, um, so we had a discussion one Sunday night, and uh, my lesson was themed, okay, what are we going to do when AIDS comes to church? And so I was, I was somewhat astounded that one of the elders was very outspoken and said, no one who is HIV positive or who has AIDS is welcome or can become a part of this church. And I was like, how can we do that? That doesn't sound very Christ-like to me. Uh, but that was, that was an attitude uh, in, in, a lot of, in a lot of places. And so, uh, you know, we'll walk by on the other side of the road. If they have it, they must deserve it. You know, it scares me to think of how God's going to react to such an attitude and such a spirit of judgment. It doesn't matter what anyone has done in the past. We all have a past. And we've all done things that we're certainly not proud of and that God's not pleased with. We've got to focus on the future in Jesus. God expects us to be a neighbor without conditions. A bad neighbor is the one who has to go out of his way to avoid doing the right thing. God put your neighbors around you so that you could be a witness to them and not walk by on the other side of the street. 
You know, while we're talking about this, let me make a distinction between um, being a witness and witnessing. People get uptight about witnessing. Okay, I've got to go and I've got to share my faith, you know, with people. And so, uh, you know, that's okay if you're type A personality. You don't have an issue with that, but there the rest of us have an issue with that. We're uncomfortable with that, um, approaching somebody directly. Well, the Bible, what the Bible teaches is that we are to be witnesses. It doesn't command us to witness, but to be witnesses. And that is the lifestyle, the example that we set, the manner in which we live once we make a connection to people, begins to impact their life and bring about changes in them. And so that's what the scripture here uh, is, is, really, is really indicating. Now, we're concerned. This man is by the road. He's bleeding. He's near death. Um... But lo and behold, along comes the Levite. Now this man, he's an, another religious man. He serves in the temple. He offers sacrifices and serves in various other capacities. Certainly he's going to respond to the man in distress by the roadside. But no, he also crossed the road and walked by on the other side. You see... He's concerned if he touches the man and the man dies, he's not going to be able to perform his temple service. He'll lose his rights. Your neighbor is literally the person that you'd have to walk out of your way to avoid. Okay, he's there. The person who lives beside of you, you'd have to walk out of your way to avoid that person. If you're mowing your front yard and he steps out outside of his house, you're going to have to go do something else or something, or you're going to have to rub shoulders with him. You're going to have to see him, speak to him, and that sort of thing. One of the reasons we're not better witnesses to our neighbors is because we don't see them. Uh, we don't allow ourselves to be exposed uh, to our neighbors. We don't have a lens of compassion for them. We can't understand their perspective. You know, every pro-life organization across the world today is trying to raise money to buy a 3D ultrasound. Now, a regular ultrasound is one dimension. A 3D ultrasound lets you see the baby all the way around. You see the whole baby. And so... The, the, their thinking is, if a mother sees her baby, that she'll not have an abortion, that she'll decide to give her baby life. And so everybody's trying to raise money to get a 3D ultrasound. The only way we're going to complete our mission is if we put on ourselves the lens of compassion. Uh, listen to the difference between the, the priest and Levite, and Jesus. Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease, the scripture says. And here's what he says. Here's what scripture says. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see the difference? Uh, I see the crowds and I think they're idiots. You know, I think, why are you doing this? Why are you living that way? No, no wonder this is happening to you. Um, why, have you why have you done this to yourself? But that's not how Jesus saw people. He saw them with the lens of compassion, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said, the harvest is plenteous, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. Even as Jesus approached the city of Jerusalem uh, at his triumphal entry, uh, Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, um, he made this statement, um, and he wept over the city. Uh, you know, if only they had come to me uh, because its citizens had rejected him and he knew what was going to happen, that Jerusalem and even the temple was going to be destroyed. Jonah got mad at God after he finally carried out his commission to go preach to Nineveh and the city of Nineveh repented and so God didn't destroy them. Jonah got upset because he wanted God to destroy the city. He had no lens of compassion. You know, wipe them out, God. Unless our compassion is greater than our comfort level, we'll never do anything good. Well, but at least this is not the end of the story. Along came a Samaritan, and when he saw the man, he had compassion for him. Our hero is a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. Basically, uh, they were related, uh, but it was not a good relationship. Uh, the Jews looked at the Samaritans as half-breeds because they were half-Jewish and half-Gentile. There was truly a racism issue there, much worse than the feelings today between uh, Orioles fans and Nationals fans. Um, very much like, perhaps, the feelings between whites and blacks in Alabama in the 50s uh, and 40s and 50s, uh, or the Jews and the Germans uh, in Nazi Germany. It was a deep-rooted hatred. Why a Samaritan? Why did Jesus pick a Samaritan? Jesus wants us to understand the neighbor concept. And sometimes pagans do a better job keeping God's commandments than we do. And I, I'm really ashamed to say that, but it's true. It's possible for someone to have a bad theology and yet be a better neighbor than you. There are a lot of people today uh, that want to help people in need, but they're not Christians. Christianity should be leading the way. But we carry with us this negative connotation. Somebody recently talked about a bumper sticker that they saw that read, God, protect me from your followers. Isn't that sad? Isn't that, I mean, I think that's sad. It should be the opposite. I want to share with you a story that, that Tim includes in his book. I I didn't have uh, an example in the church here or anywhere that I've been that anywhere close to equals this. So 
I want to share it with you. The lady's name was Doreen. So this is straight from her story. I was raised in a Christian home and taught early that serving God is the most important thing in life. As a little girl, my mom and dad would take us to the shelters and we would sing and serve food. I can remember being three or four years old knowing that my heart was drawn to these people. Through a trial in our family with a child who struggled with addiction, God allowed this into our family because he knew we could be a family for those struggling through the same thing. So her experience in the downtown mission helped when they had a real-life experience in their own family. Going down and serving the homeless, sometimes we're the only family they have. They don't get to experience being loved on and having a door open to come home to. For me, it was an opportunity to go down and show the same kind of love that I prayed if my child ever needed that someone would do for him. My husband would drive down with me to locate the homeless down into the inner city. And I would find them anywhere. I would get out of the car, take a blanket, tuck them in, and just tell them that Jesus loves you and give them a sack lunch. From there, it started being like they started looking for her. And they would come out to meet her. And there would be more. She said eventually there were 10, then 20, 30. And she said, we moved to a location where we can now serve up to 400 people. Start out small, but it grew. With all the people now involved, it's grown to be so much more than serving the homeless. It's the relationships that volunteers have built with them and with each other. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's an honor to serve in his name. You go down there and get the opportunity to talk about church and Jesus, and pretty soon I started having people ask, Doreen, would you ever get a van or a bus to pick us up and take us to church? No, she's not trying to recruit people to come to church. They're recruiting her to take them. Christmas was the first time we got to pick up a group of them, to bring them to church. From the start, they were so welcomed by our church. I pray that it would be the same here at New Life. They were accepted just as they were. Now, every Sunday, we have a group coming. I've been honored to be in the baptismal pool with quite a few of them who now have been baptized into Christ and given their life to the Lord, knowing that when they went into the water... They weren't perfect, but it didn't matter. This was all out of my comfort zone, as it would be for most of us. But I truly believe that God has called me to be a voice for my brothers and sisters who are on the street and need somebody to be a voice for them. If you think you can't do this, you can do it, because I'm just an ordinary person who all I wanted out of life was to be a mom and have kids that love the Lord, and he has opened the doors so much further than, than I would have ever thought they would have been opened. Good Samaritans, you see, respond when they see needs through the lens of compassion. But now, we need to understand that there are consequences for Good Samaritans. 
The Samaritan bandaged the, the wounds of this guy who'd been left for dead, poured on oil and wine, set the man on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he gave the innkeeper money and said, take care of him and whatever you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Now I want you to notice that the Samaritan, after looking out for this man, went on with his life. Now that's important. It, this thing didn't change the direction of his life. His life continued. I think that what Jesus is saying is that being a good neighbor is not about emptying out your bank account, giving everything you have to somebody that's in this situation. And it's not about quitting your job because he continued on his journey, which was, as I understand it, a business journey. Now, God may call you to do that, but that's not what happened here in the text. But being a good neighbor is really about opening your eyes to the simple things that you can do to help somebody that's in need. It's that simple. I want you to notice another consequence. The Samaritan established a relationship. He picked the guy up. He cleaned him up. He took him to the hospital, the equivalent. Uh, gave the hospital a down payment and the equivalent of his credit card and said, when I come again, and it's all about a relationship. The mission of witness is all about relationship. Don't forget that. He realized he was, it was not just about helping this guy and then going on his way and never seeing the guy again. He's coming back. He's a Samaritan, but he is now in a relationship with a Jewish man. Now, we started out trying to make a difference in the community by doing one-time community projects. You all remember that. There was a time when every month we do a different project. And let me say this. One-time community projects help relieve your conscience. Makes you feel like you're doing something. And yes, you are. You're doing something. But establishing relationships like Doreen is how we truly witness. It's how we truly make a difference in people's lives. Now, later, later on in the story, I, I basically told you the story of um, the priest and the Levite and a Samaritan. Uh, and this is how Jesus concluded it, verses 36 and 37. And Jesus concluded, In your opinion, which one of these three acted like a neighbor toward the man attacked by the robbers? The teacher of the law answered. Now, I want you to see how he answered. Because there's still a major attitude problem here. He says, the one who was kind to him. You know, he wouldn't even say the word Samaritan. Just the one who was kind to him. Jesus replied, you go then and do the same. Jesus is saying, be my witness in Jerusalem. And on the way to Jerusalem, and on the way back from Jerusalem, along the road of your life, be like that guy. Be like that Samaritan. Stop asking, who is my neighbor? And start asking, won't you be my neighbor? 
a better question. Now, applying the principles to us. Number one, stop. Stop. Instead of passing by on the other side of the road, we've got to stop. The greatest hindrance to the mission of Jesus is the busyness of his agents, the busyness of his people. We're too busy. We don't have time to stop. The most important thing that many of you can do is to get back on mission. Now, this is going to sound strange coming from me, a preacher, but you've got to stop going to so many Bible studies and fellowships and going to church so much. I, there are people that go to church four to six times a week. Why? No wonder we don't have time to take care of people and accomplish the mission of the church because we made ourselves too busy doing what we think are spirit, spiritual things. Second, drop. Stop and then drop. Uh, you've got to get off the donkey. Now, a part of me would like to use the King James word for donkey, but Gina won't let me. And there are some of you who would be offended if I did. Now, in case you're a little naive and you haven't figured it out yet, it starts with the letter A. Okay, that enough said. Dropping means that we've got to inconvenience ourselves. This is selflessness. It's taking time to create a relationship. It, it's first of all connecting, like we talked about last week. You know, it's not enough to stop your donkey and throw money or a bottle of Advil at the guy that's beside the road, the wounded. Remember, Compassion has to be greater than our comfort. Now, I know you're expecting me to say next, stop, drop, and roll, but I'm not going to say roll. I'm going to say share. Stop, drop, and share. Now, I know it's easier to roll out some cash. Uh, we would always rather write a check for somebody else to do the ministry for us uh, be it in our community or overseas. My challenge for you this week is to stop, drop, and share, especially in your neighborhood. Now, the Samaritan shared what he had. He didn't empty out his bank account. You need to understand that. He probably spent a couple weeks' wages on taking care of this injured man. Here's what James, the half-brother of Jesus, has to say on this subject. Chapter 2, verse 14, beginning. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm be and, and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, in all honesty, you will probably not discover someone beaten half to death in your cul-de-sac on the way home. It's not going to happen to you today. But maybe one of your neighbors just had a baby. Maybe there was a death in the family. Maybe there's a serious illness. Maybe someone lost their job. 
the list just kind of goes on and on. But there are things going on in the lives of your neighbors. And if you haven't connected yet, then I challenge you to connect and serve. Now, you can think of something to show that you care. But here's the thing. Going to their house, knocking on the door, ringing the doorbell, gets you to the next level. You connect, then you're about to serve. The early church got this. And that's why they developed the reputation of loving one another. And we can have a revival of that. We can have a a renewal of this loving spirit. But it's going to start here. It's going to start with you. It's going to start in how you treat your neighbors, those people around you who have a need. We're going to stand, sing our song of decision. I want you to think seriously about this. And uh, perhaps you need to make a decision today. If you want us to pray for you, we'll be glad to pray for you. If you want to talk about church membership or accepting Christ, being baptized, then see Craig at the link on your way out. Let's stand and sing together, please.